Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast, the radio show. Coming to you on this Sunday, November the 14th, 2021. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we have Ashley Weens, said it correctly, uh, to talk about all things health, fitness, nutrition, break down her story, answer some of the questions that you crazy kids had sent in. But before I jump in there, just a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by, you guys already know, my homies at Athletic Greens. It is the one thing I take every single day and I never miss. If you're somebody who struggles to eat enough fruits and vegetables, even myself, it's hard to get in all the servings required. I throw the greens into my life and I'm done for the day. If you guys want to check them out, the site athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott gets you a year supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order. If you have heard me talk about these 8 million times, or maybe this is the first podcast you guys have tuned into, shoot us a message, fill out the contact page in the site, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you guys want to hit us up, and I'll have Monica send a pack right to your front door for free. You can try it and then get hooked up with all the free stuff. It's easily the best tasting greens out there. And let's be real, we've all taken worse shots at the bar. I remember when I was 21 years old. My awesome roommates lined up five shots of wild turkey in front of me, and I don't remember much of the night, and I do remember it tasted like hot trash. Athletic Greens tastes way better than that, so if you guys are interested, hit me up. Otherwise, the site, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott for all of the free stuff. I'm going to put all the other podcast sponsors in the show notes, our homies over at Beam, our friends at Kettle and Fire, J-Lab, and obviously Joey's Hot Sauce as well. It's a mouthful. So... Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, uh, give these guys your story. You can go back as far as you want to. We have all the time in the world, but kind of maybe as a kid, did we play sports, how we got into fitness, and how we eventually ended up here where we're at today. So, as a kid, I grew up playing sports. Um, I played basketball, volleyball, and I did track, but I did relays, hurdles, and through shot put and discus. Um, you know, eventually as you get older in in high school, you kind of specialize on a sport that you think you want to have more of a career and if you plan to play in college. So that's what I chose to do. Um, my junior year of high school, I ended up moving from Colorado to Houston, Texas. And in Texas, sports are huge. So I ended up switching to just basketball, and that was my focus uh, the remainder of my junior and senior year. And then I ended up playing for a junior college in Texas for two years, and then I played for Colorado State University my junior year, and then I sat out my senior year due to a knee injury. And that's kind of what projected me more into the fitness industry was I was told by my physician I needed to take eight months from training, um, heavy weight, and to do low-impact exercises to recover my knee. And so I listened, I ate well during that time. So I didn't gain a bunch of weight, but my whole body composition changed. So during this time, when I was able to go back to training, I wanted to really focus on um, improving the way I looked out on the outside. Um, And so I decided, I'm like, hey, a lot of my friends are doing competitions. I want to focus on, you know, the next year doing a competition and getting to the best shape of my life and eating well, using my um, knowledge and nutrition to eat well, and then just to learn how to train to prep my body to look good for a bikini competition. So that's what I did. And how old are you at the time? I was 23. So college, you get done. What was the knee injury, by the way? Um, I 
was about to tear my meniscus. So it was actually your typical, uh, what they said, um, what did he call it? Quadricep and plantar, um, and patella tendonitis and fasciitis. So basically no, nothing torn, but it was almost about to tear my meniscus. So they, he recommended low impact so that I didn't, you know, end up with a knee injury. Yeah. And so that's done. And then you're like, well, no, I want to look like a rock star. Yeah, Basically. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. That's all of us out there. I get it. <laughs> so you decide, and what is your, your background in, in terms of schooling, your degrees? So I went to school and got my degree in food nutritional sciences. My concentration was dietetic. So basically I was on the route to become a dietitian. Um, it was actually my senior year. My medical nutrition therapy professor was like, don't do this career. Don't become a dietitian. I probably shouldn't say that because she was the the dean of the course. But um, she's, uh, she said it's a very morbid and sad profession um, just because a lot of your clients would be on interim parenteral and enteral nutrition. So through feeding tubes. So I was like, okay, what do I do now? And that's um, all like hospital settings? Yeah. Mostly? And then I know there was obviously other settings, but that was, I was planning on doing a clinical dietitian route. So becoming a dietitian for a clinical setting. And then I was actually offered, um, a coaching job at Colorado state after I graduated. So I ended up switching directions. I got my degree in dietetics, but I ended up coaching college basketball for a few years. Um, and then decided I, loved nutrition. Um, that's kind of why I do what I do now, but I didn't, and I loved coaching, but I didn't love coaching women's basketball. So I kind of, I actually quit my job working for Colorado state and I decided I was going to work in a vitamin shop while I got my personal training certification. Seems like a real smart uh, career move there. (laughs) It was not a smart career move financially, but it allowed me to have the time that I wanted to invest in, you know, getting my personal training certification and switch career fields from coaching women's basketball to switching over to becoming a personal trainer. And so you start doing that 23 ish and then you're like, Mm -hmm. well, I want to get it. How does getting into competing and all that slowly become a thing for you? Career wise. Yeah. Well, you're just like, let's say I'm working at, I'm working at, I'm working at vitamin shop, crushing it. And uh, I want to be a PT. Eventually, you become an IFBB pro. So mm-hmm. you're like on the high, for people listening, if you're not aware, that's essentially the highest stage of being shredded. On I don't even know how you say it. It's like a fancy. It's like I think the men's is like a beauty pageant. It's kind of yeah. like a beauty pageant, but like you're shredded. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it totally makes sense. Um, so for me a little bit of a backtrack on part of the reason I, there was more reasons why I chose to quit coaching, but we were going to be going on, um, and out of the country, basically we were going to, I think it was Norway for just like summer practices. We were going to play some teams over there and it was going to interfere with me doing a bodybuilding show. So this was a show that I was trying to earn my pro status on. And so I was in the transition of getting my personal training certification. And so I was like, I knew I didn't want to coach professionally or as a career anymore um, because I'd been getting other division one job opportunities and I wasn't willing to move to another state to make more money That's in the coaching profession. That whole profession is you just be, you're the traveling carnival for most of your life. 
hundred percent. Yeah. It's like 80 hour work weeks. Until you become like I did my GA in South Dakota at Dakota Westland. And basically I would drive around to do all the normal grunt work, but I'd be in like Murdo, South Dakota on a Thursday watching some kid play basketball. And then you're traveling to Branson, Missouri or wherever you're going. And the food you eat is typically shit. In the Midwest, it's like you stop at, like for people who know this, Pizza Ranch or Old Country Buffet or Papa John's, wherever the kids are going to eat basically, but you're along with them. And it's a very like vagabond kind of life until you become the dude, but there's only 300 and some programs where you could be the dude at the division one level. You can tear down from there, but it's still super hard to do. And oftentimes you're not in the best cities or the best states. It's not a health, it's not a health profession for most of those guys. No, it's definitely not. And I remember, um, we'd be gone for conference tournaments and be gone for a week at a time. And I was prepping for shows at this point and training like in a, Mm-hmm. Hotel. So, oh yeah. And training in a hotel, but then knowing that I wouldn't have access to good food, what did I do beforehand? I prepped all my food, put it in plastic baggies and froze it. Our conference tournaments were in Vegas. So, you know, you don't have access to heating food up or anything like that. There is a mini fridge with all of the bar ve- beverages. And so I took all that stuff out and I put my freezer baggies in there and I lived off that for a week. And you're the people around you have to be looking at you like you're some kind of alien. No, yeah, they definitely did because they didn't understand it. But knowing that I wouldn't have access to the kind of food I needed to look the way I wanted to, to do well at the, you know, to do well competing wise, um, you just kind of suck it up. That's gnarly. So you get done with, so that is basically what prompted you like, hey, I don't want to move forward because I'm trying to take this direction. And for the people who are listening, when you are in that mindset of I'm going to be a pro, I need to be shredded, you're not thinking like a sane person. No. It's safe to say. Is that right? Yeah, it's whatever it takes. It's like I will eat cold food. I will eat frozen tilapia. I will do two hours of cardio. Not that you have to do that. Uh, I know differently now, but you were willing to do whatever it takes to reach that goal. You basically forego all the things that make sense to do things that I guess it could be done better is the way I want to phrase it. It 100% can. I shared this story a lot on here, and it'll never get old to me. I remember being backstage um, competing when I was a young man, and Skip Wood, do you know Skip? No, no. Skip lives here. Skip is older than me, so we're like the super old dudes. Um, I'm talking like muscle tech ads back in the day when he had beautiful hair. I think he still <laughs> does. Um, but we're backstage. He's competing, I'm competing, and I remember him looking at a dude, and I don't know if the guy's competing or not, it's been like 10 years, and the guy bites an apple, and he literally turns to me and he goes, can you imagine putting that much sugar in your body at one time? Like, And he said it, and I hear him saying it, and I'm like, yeah, this is dumb. I'm like, and I, in my head, it was just like, this is dumb what we're doing. To think that, to think when you see someone bite an apple, that that is somehow unhealthy or in an insane amount of sugar to eat, it blew my fucking mind. I'm like, we are living in a clone world. Like, we are literally living in an alternate reality from everybody else. But when you're in it, that's normal. That is normal. Like, to yeah. hear that. But a normal person listening right now is like, that seems insane. For most people, and I don't mean like fitness people, which is a lot of the ones who listen here. The average person out there, the best thing they would eat in a day is a fucking apple. Mm-hmm. By far. Because most of the shit they eat is garbage. Anyways, not to get off track. So, you're in the life. Or starting to be in the life. Yeah. So I, I quit my job. That was a well, really well-paying job with really good benefits to, because I wanted to pursue this profession in the fitness industry to get my certification and then start training at a corporate gym. 
because I needed experience and I needed, you know, for me thinking I needed to go the corporate route, work at a 24 hour fitness, learn how to become a trainer to actually become a trainer. That sounds terrible. It was, Yeah. it was very short lived because I was there for about three months and realized, oh wow, I have to really work even more to make what I was making at my last job. What do they pay you at like a 24 hour fitness back then? Oh, it like, was bad. My dude... Can I say this on here? I don't think he cares. My dude here, he used to work at a place. I'm not going to say the name. And I think it was, I want to say they're giving him like eight bucks, like a session or something, like something crazy, like really low. The best split I've ever heard for people who like train in a facility would be like 51.49, where I think the house, so if you're charging a hundred bucks, the house would take 51 bucks and they'd Mm -hmm. give you 49 bucks, which I still think is a shit deal. But he was getting like basically 10 cents on the dollar, something crazy. No, that is not the best deal. Um, I can't remember exactly exactly the dollar amount, but I knew that my first month I was training 90 sessions a month. Then I was at 120 and then I was at 160 my third month. And I was like, really, I'm not making what I thought I would make working this much. How do you even do that? Oh my God, it's terrible. Well, I mean, I was a... You're young. Eager, young trainer, and this is my new profession, and this is what I wanted to pursue, and this is how I wanted to make up my living instead of coaching, you know, basketball. So I was like, okay, well, how can I do this, you know, this career, but also make more money? So I decided to become an independent trainer, and I found my own gym that I would pay run at, and I would bring my business to there. And how did you go? How did you go from that step to that step? Like, so you're at Twenty Four Fitness. First of all. There has been times where you're doing 100 sessions in a week and you're sitting there going, man, coaching basketball seems like a pretty sweet job right now. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you have to be questioning well, like you're saying, like this is just dumb what we're doing. Well, I don't know. With basketball, I loved it, but I was a video coordinator and assistant director of ops. So my job was even more behind the scenes. Like we'd get home from games at 2 a.m. and I would be cutting game film till 6 a.m. To have it on the head coach's desk and I would sleep in the locker room for two hours and then start my work day. So like that sucks too. It was, you know, but I loved what I did for a short period of time and then I wanted to change it. So, so you're at 24 hour fitness. How do you find the place you're going to go next? Like, so, so I'm sorry. I keep saying this. I'm old. So when I did it back in the day, um, I didn't ever worked at a 24 hour anywhere. I've had one, I say like real job ever. I was an academic advisor and I spent probably the last six months of that job just building the website, <clears throat> at least the first one that we had. And I would train people in the park like before work at like 5 a.m. And then I would do sometimes after work. And then once that doesn't become ideal because the weather here goes from like freezing to earth oven in a matter of like a couple months, I would send, if I could find an email, I would email these businesses or I would handwrite letters in my terrible penmanship and I'd send them out and I found a place called Peak Performance, which to this day still does exist. It used to be these guys, Dan and Tony, but it's like Indian school in about 32nd Street, still there. And I used to live like down by the Biltmore, so it was just an easy fit. And I would basically do a split with them, similar like profit sharing, because I had, you know, five clients, give or take. And that's how I got into there. And then from there, I would earn money, save it, and then eventually got my own spot. Similar. I mean, I trained at a bodybuilding gym where I lived in Colorado at the time. And I was like, perfect. They do independent contracting. So I'm going to ask the owner if I can switch, you know, move my business here and what my rent would be. And I did that. So I let my fitness manager at 24 Hour Fitness know that I was leaving. And I gave them 
all my clients' information so they could contact them, let them and try to place them with someone else. But usually in that kind of position, clients develop a relationship with the trainer. They don't buy 24-hour fitness. No, they don't. They buy and you. So some of them ended up coming up with me and then throughout, you know, just working out at different gyms, um, I continued to just build up my training business. And then I want to say on like 2015, 2016, um, while I was sharing my journey through the competing, um, I developed some traction on social media, my Instagram channel, and I had people wanting me to do online coaching with them. So I did a lot of nutrition and workout programming coaching online. And I've, you know, ever since then I've had an online business where that's what I do is I do nutrition and fitness coaching. Um, but then I also do the in-person training. Um, so that's mostly women, dudes, mix, mostly women, but I do help males as well, Yeah, but I mostly help women. I always ask because there's sometimes dudes just do it to be creeps and then sometimes dudes do it because they want help. So just curious. We're, dudes are all predators. I just have to throw that out there. That's just how, <laughs> how we are. Oh, my husband would agree with you. Yeah. I'm sure he sees it too. You know, oh, he does. Because you share everything. Like I do with my wife too. I'm like, hey, look at this. Well, I do it in the office here mostly just to see if it's safe. So I'll click it and I'll like show Monica. I'm like, is this safe to watch? She's like, no. I'm like, okay. Let's just delete this and move forward. But So you're getting the social media stuff rolling. <clears throat> you're in Colorado at the time. Yeah. Okay. And you're competing how many times a year? Anywhere from three to four. And like what, not to get like off track, but we'll bounce everywhere. Why the competing? Like what was the, why did you think it was cool? Like why did you want to do, I, I can give you my answer, but I'm curious for other people. So at the time, you know, like I, I was a college athlete. I worked out three hours a day, didn't really didn't matter what I ate. I was lean, I had a six pack and I, um, was in good shape. But when I got injured and I couldn't train cause I was listening to my physician. Now I know better. I could have trained through that. Um, I, my whole body composition changed. I still ate really well, but I lost muscle, gained body fat and I was really unhappy with my appearance. Skinny fat, skinny fat. Yeah, totally. I'm familiar. Yeah. So I did yeah. cardio only and didn't weight train basically. Um, or did just very lightweight training, but body weight. Um, so I was very unhappy with my appearance and I wanted to do something to get myself in the best physical shape possible. Uh, so I was like, I was at the time I was seeing a lot of my friends competing and I was like, I want to do that. Didn't know what it was. Very naive. I looked up on bodybuilding.com, like Lane Norton, like all these, whatever I could find access to online about competing, I was reading and I was like, I'm going to prep myself for this because I wanted to do that. And it's like an extension of your sports career. Mm -hmm. That's how we always looked at it. Like if I'm not going to go to practice in college anymore for two, three hours and lift, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. But yeah. I grew up like on, you know, Arnold, like that's what we grew up on. So like, that was always cool to me. Like I liked he as a kid. Maybe I just always thought dudes that were jacked was like super cool. And then you get into it and I'm like, okay, this has become a thing that I can, cause you can't play sports anymore. You just, you can't, it, it's over. Like there's just, and the crazy thing is when that part of your life is done, Nobody gives a shit. Like the real world, just you're just normal Ashley now. Like yeah. you're not an athlete. You're just Ashley who works at Vitamin Shop. Yeah. And that's a shitty reality. I'm not trying <laughs> yeah. to be an asshole to anybody if you no. work there. But it's true. Like I'm now Jeremy, <clears throat> excuse me, the academic advisor. Like that's, and we tie our identities as athletes to what we do. Like it's probably, I mean, for me, it's like how I made friends. It's how anybody liked me or yeah. did anything. It was like, this is what I did. And now I'm like... I'm just a guy who pushes papers. This sucks. Well, and that's the thing too, is like 
we were talking about this earlier, just kind of how, where we started and then, you know, what kind of developed us to where we're at now. And the vitamin shop thing for me was I couldn't work my corporate or not my corporate, but my uh, government job as a coach at CSU and still compete to turn pro because we were, we would have a trip that was going to interfere with the show date. It'd be literally, we'd be gone in Norway at the time I wanted to compete. So I was like, what can I do to still progress towards my goal? make some income so I can still do this job, but it not interfere with my, what my end goal is too much. And that was worked at the vitamin shop. That's crazy, man. That's a big sacrifice. Huge sacrifice. I was like 10 hour work days and I was pushing like cleaning shelves and rearranging vitamins on the shelves. And I gained a lot of information as far as like supplements and like vitamins, minerals and you know, all that. But it was a, I would say a good, a big sacrifice for me that help me propel towards my end goal career. Which is cool. Cause you're still in it where I think a lot of people, that story probably doesn't pan out Mm-mm. really no. well. <laughs> and I don't mean that negatively, but I've been around for a while and there's a lot of people who were in that life. And I mean, when I say that life, like the competing life where it's, whether it's bodybuilding or fitness or figure physique, you name it. And they were literally as gung ho about it as possible. And now they're realtors. Yeah. Now they're personal bankers or there's something different just because the life cycle of that, uh, either it grinds you down or your own health gets grinded down and you kind of flip the switch. Oh yeah. And it can be, it's a, it's a very, I would say saturated industry where everybody on Instagram is a personal trainer or an online nutrition coach in that fitness space. It's my one, um, I'm not super social in my normal life on the podcast, obviously, I just talk shit all day, so that's what we do, uh, and I'm here with people, but I don't like to be the center of attention, I would like to just be invisible if I could go most places, so I probably shouldn't have put my name on the building and on the t-shirts like an idiot, but I did it, and one of my biggest uh, things I dread is when we go, we were at a wedding last night, and I squirmed out of this, they always ask, what do you do, and I'm like, fuck, man, like, I don't want to talk about this right now, because, like, I can't say... I'm a trainer. I'm a coach because now, oh, so is my cousin Ricky. And I'm like, yeah, dude, we're not the same uh, at all. And if I say anything else, like, oh, we do podcasts or we're on Instagram, like then you sound even more like of a douchebag. So it's really tough. So I get what you're saying. Because in the world of that, everybody's an expert. Everybody's a coach. And I hate, and I, for people, most of you guys know who listen, just because somebody is fit does not mean they can help you. I need to make that crystal clear just because someone is shredded or in great shape and they post it on the internet does not mean they know what the hell they're talking about or can help you. They've mastered their own stuff in in some way, shape or form, healthy or not. I don't know. I I need more context, but a lot of people see that and like, well, I'm going to work with that person because they look good. And that's not the greatest metric to, to measure a coach by. No, it's definitely not. Here we are though. So (laughs) you're, Let's go to the competing. We turn pro somehow. Yeah. So I prepped myself for my first show, did really well, but then I was like, okay, I basically have achieved everything that I know how to do myself in this, you know, fitness space. And I was like, I'm going to hire a coach. And I worked with a really old school bodybuilding style coach who, you know, just really low calories, two hours of cardio. Explain, go in detail. So these guys get a, get a picture. What is a normal kind of day? like during the prep so this this is kind of what i ate on a daily basis what time you wake up um 
at the time, because I was working at the vitamin shop, I would wake up at 5 a.m. I would do my first hour of cardio. I'd be done by like 6, 10. Was that treadmill? Step? Stairmaster. Yeah. For an hour. No leaning. I don't really remember how fast I was going. It's so terrible. Then dude. I would go home. I would eat real quick. And what would we eat? I would eat four ounce, no, eight ounces of egg whites with an eighth cup of oatmeal. That's like what, 10 carbohydrates? Very, yeah, it's like nothing. And a half, then, a, half a cup is 27. At the at the time though, so this is the thing that's, um, you know, like I'm a big macro person now. So I could cook my food in olive oil or coconut oil. Didn't matter the amount. This is not typical. So this is what my, you know, like kind of like a Ronnie Coleman diet. Yeah. Um, I love Ronnie, by the way. Me, me too. But fuck, man. His his food videos crack me up. He, he well, it would always be the Casey masterpiece barbecue sauce uh-huh. on everything. So that, that I'm gonna get to that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I would do that. Then I would go back and I would train for an hour, and then I would do my second hour of cardio. And then my shift would usually start around noon, and I would work from noon till close. So we close around ten, nine or ten. Jesus, dude. So I would be on my feet for the next. 10 hours. Um, and I would do anywhere from about 22 to 25,000 steps a day. That was my every day with the amount of cardio I was doing. Cause I was doing two hours of cardio at that time. But like my other meals would be like five ounces of cod with two ounces of red potato or two ounces of brown rice with asparagus. And, but I could put real sugar ketchup and real sugar barbecue sauce on it if I wanted. Like what's, how much sense does that make? It doesn't. When you're, how old are you at the time? 25? Not even. 24, 25? I was 24. Yeah, when you're 24, you're dumb. So Well, and you know. I, I'm asking these questions. One of my snacks was like a, a green apple with almonds, but it said 15 almonds. And I'm like, okay. And what, so I'm asking questions like how many grams, because I tracked macros for my first prep. Yeah. And then I'm asking, okay, should I actually be eating this barbecue sauce, this ketchup, and should I be cooking my food in coconut oil because it's adding extra calories? And he's like, no, it's okay. You can do that stuff. And I'm like, okay. So I would find the biggest Granny Smith apple I could find. The biggest one. It yeah. had to have been 300 plus grams yeah. of Granny Smith apple. And then I would get, I would, he actually changed my plan from 15 almonds to an, an actual gram amount. So otherwise I would have found the 15 biggest almonds I could find. Well, that's my take with a lot of this. Like I would hear shit like that where these, we don't do uh, diet plans. I'm not judging anybody. We coach macros here as well. Mm-hmm. Lifestyle eating. If you want me to break down like what I think meals per day would be, I'd like to know what you do in a normal day, kind of what it looks like. But at the end of the day, I could give a shit if you eat two meals or six meals, as long as you have the macros kind of fit in the scope, it tends to work for people. If you're at a deficit, you're trying to get lean. If you want to do a surplus gain size, it's not that complex, but you hear these things where, okay, you're going to eat 10 asparagus spears. My question is, what the fuck happens if you eat 12? What if you eat nine? And how big are they? Like, that's the thing. Well, I can eat one apple. I'm like, well, to your point, there's little apples and there's giant apples. And I know I'm being an asshole when I grab the biggest possible one ever. And I know the sugar amount's got to be probably two to three times what a normal one would be. But that's that old school kind of coaching mentality you're following. Well, I kid you not though. There'd be times when I'd go to the store and I'd be like, that's not my normal size apple. So I'd go to a different store to find bigger apples because I'm like, I barely get any carbs at this point. So, so you literally would drive, this is, we'll talk about like, th- that's an eating disorder. Obviously. No, it totally is. Like, that's craziness. So you would go to like Safeway and the apple's too small. So then you'd be like, I'm going to go to Sprouts. Yep. 
That's fucking nuts, dude. Just so I could get a bigger apple because I got one apple. It didn't matter the amount. So that's why for me, I was like, how much can I have of this? And like, what are my macros for the day? Because eventually I asked that stuff because I'm like, this is kind of bizarre to me. You know, and then um, I also would get two rice cakes, but it could be like chocolate or the caramel ones. Oh, like the Quaker? Mm-hmm. The Quaker so ones? The Quaker ones do taste good. But it was like 50 grams of carbs and then fat at that meal. That was with snack. And I would get the apple with the rice cakes and the almonds at that snack. And then I would probably have another two meals of the fish, brown rice, and asparagus. And then later down the road, it would be, of course, no carbs. Except for the snack. I would still get the snack. And then my last meal would be egg whites only. Like that's... It's Eight like, ounces. It's like eating nothing. Yeah. You know, one gross thing I used to do. So this is everybody's similar. Like we all did such dumb shit. <laughs> I need to say that everyone listening, like when you see Ashley and you see her photos and stuff, we've done so many dumb things to, to get here. And that's why we do these episodes. So you guys don't ever do these stupid things. Eating just egg whites is probably one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Now they're healthy. That's fine. What I used to do, and I was dead broke, so when I first moved here, I got my real job, but I had no fucking money. So I'd go to, like, fries with 20 bucks for, like, the whole week. I shit you not, dude. Eggs, tuna, and oatmeal is basically what my whole week would be for the most part. If I could get some cheap-ass, like, steak or something, sure, but your money doesn't go that far. At my work desk, and you can ask everybody who worked with me, it's disgusting. I would mix tuna and oatmeal together every day and that's what I would do so I'd take like half a cup of oatmeal and I would take like uh, usually about 20 ounces of tuna and I would mix it together and the reason I would do it is because it made the tuna easier to swallow (laughs) when I could mix it together and then the grossest thing I did when I found this out you can just drink the synthetic egg whites you don't have to cook them it's safe you can just drink them now it is disgusting. It's probably one of the grossest things. I mean, the texture alone, it's like drinking fucking snot. I mean, it's awful. But I would do that at my desk too. And that would be my life. Just wash, rinse, repeat. And the only thing that would really... And eating like no fucking vegetables. Like I shit you not. Like none. And there was probably a time where I didn't like take a, like any micronutrients like that for probably a good like year or, or two years. And the only thing that would change is that you would just cut the carbohydrates down to basically nothing. And can you get shredded? Yeah. I like shreds in my glutes, like veins in my ass. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to kill yourself. Like you are the most miserable human to be around for sure. It's not fun. And you like dream about food every second of the day. But that's, we're in the same boat. Yeah. That's but, I mean, so bad. That's kind of the direction that I took, you know, when I first started like working with a coach and like, that's what I did for the next three shows. And then I earned my pro status. Like I ended up really what I needed to do was just be leaner. So I did my first national show. 15th which you know everybody behind 14th is 15th so I was like last place tied with everybody else behind me and then I was like okay well let's I just need to be leaner I needed to pose differently and how so what do you what do you weigh at the time if you had a guess and like what is the body fat percentage probably 135 pounds for bikini how tall are you I'm five eight and a half okay and then I oh I don't even know my body fat percentage but it's probably in the, the low teens and then that's low for that's low for a female. Everybody, was, that's low for most dudes in America. Honestly. Decided to do North Americans, and I pushed hard for another two months, and I was probably five pounds lighter, and I ended up winning my pro card at that show. So going fifteenth to first, and I'm like, this is what it takes. And then come to find out after the pack, you know, like obviously being so restrictive on a bodybuilding bros type diet 
type diet for a long period of time, I had some disordered eating afterwards where I was telling you earlier, I would eat an entire jar of peanut butter in one sitting because I couldn't have it for six months. So you do, you do the show and you're eating this ridiculously restrictive diet based on nothing really. Uh, I argue this too all the time and I'm not judging anybody where there's a lot of these weight loss facilities around here where they put the, the prescribe these like 500 calorie a day fucking diets for people. And they're like, Oh, do your shots of HCG. My take is you could probably just eat the 500 fucking calories and the weight would come off the same anyway. It doesn't matter what the fuck you do. Like the yeah. deficit is so great and so big. My concern is when that's done, what do you do? It's only going to go up. Well, yeah, and what everyone does is they go back to the way they ate before because it's not a sustainable method for weight loss. It's this is what we're going to do to get the weight off really quick. And then afterwards, good luck. You're going to gain it back and you'll be right back here in our door spending all this money again, doing the same thing you did in the past that worked. But the only thing that didn't change that's going to allow them to be actually successful is changing their habits. And so that's what I do now with people. And I'm sure I know you are a big fan of that too, is teaching people the tools they need to be successful with how they eat and how they move their body long-term. That's the only thing like there is, but when you, I don't want to get lost because I need the answer to this too. You go through and basically you're doing it just at an extreme level. Like that's what we all did. We yeah. went in these crazy deficits. We got super shredded and then we've deprived ourselves for so long. We want fucking everything like in an instant. So God, I have, to, I have these pictures on the internet. I remember the first time, <clears throat> excuse me, I have the Metcon coffee, guys. Um, we we competed, um, and I won, uh, like this is bodybuilding, so like as lean as, as lean can be. I remember my wife, and God bless her heart that she stayed with me through this horse shit, because like the fact that you can find another human to put up with this nonsense and the stupidity, like look at my big stupid trophies. Um, we went to like Cheesecake Factory. We're broke kids at the time. And I get, like, the Cuban sandwich at Cheesecake Factory, fries, but extra fries, put ranch on everything because I'm from the Midwest, two pieces of cheesecake. And I remember, like, going home, taking my shirt off, and you still have abs, but it's like I'm pregnant with abs. And feel like like a bag of shit for two days. But then waking up the next day and, like, eating pizza and ice cream and all the things I couldn't eat forever. I'm assuming yours was similar. Oh, yeah. My very first... I would say national competition. I was in Chicago. What do you do mm. in Chicago? You go get the deep dish pizza. I haven't had cheese. I haven't had gluten. I haven't had any of that stuff in months. And I ate almost the entire pizza. It's so <clears throat> it's so thick and heavy. Yeah, it's not. It's deep dish. It's this like probably an inch of cheese on each slice. You know, it's and I remember feeling so miserable. And that was like the only thing I ate the whole day because I just was stuffed. And then you'd crush like a whole jar of peanut butter. Yeah, then when I went home, I had a jars of peanut butter waiting for me because that's what everyone knew I loved, peanut <clears> butter. <throat> so I would just sit and, you know, like I would have my apple that was normally on my meal plan, but then by the time I knew it, you know, it would just be spoon in the jar and I would eat it and I would be watching TV and then the jar was gone. I mean, <clears throat> you're talking like thousands of calories. Thousands of calories. Yeah. And it was like, I'm like, why am I doing this? So I ended up having to get the little teeny single serving containers because I had no control with it at this point. So I would portion out what I got for the week, a serving every day, and then I would hide the jar. I've been there. We would, um, I would start buying like the Justin's individual packets and squeezing them out. And when you do that, first of all, anybody, you realize two tablespoons is nothing. 
No, it's not. Uh, you can't you can't cover a rice cake with like one packet of that. But what we would do, and this is like when I'm I'm like mentally I'm in a different place now. Like there's I'll never I'll never fuck up like ever. I don't think again. Like there's I can't be hungry enough. I can't be. It just doesn't control me anymore. Like I can basically own it at this point. But when you're young. I couldn't, even if I had the incentive of like, hey, muscle and fitness is doing the shoot or, you know, I mean, if the show was it, sure. But these other things when I'm young, I would screw up a lot. And now it's like this steel trap. But back then, dude, yeah, I would go off the rails. Yeah. Like real, real crazy. Well, I think it, in having more experience and doing this for a longer period of time and realizing that this isn't just a short-term goal, it's our livelihood and it's how what makes us feel and function our best. Um, that's why I eat the way I do now. That's why I track macros. Um, I don't really even track anymore. I just am a creature of habit and eat the same things. Same here. So I don't really have to plug things in my fitness pal, but I do anyways, just cause I like to keep my streak. Well, and if you, oh yeah, I get, I get the <laughs> updates. Like Stacy has done 600 days. We have people here do like six, 700 days in a row. Some crazy. Uh, but that's distort. It's like disordered eating, like doing like I would, and this is probably, this is a low point too. I remember putting stuff like in the trash and then eating it out of the top of the trash because it's still there. And then I get to the point where I'd have to spray it with like Windex. And then that way I, I knew I wouldn't eat it anymore. But yeah, I've done a lot of, uh, you don't realize it when you're in it though. No. And I think a lot of people, if you look at like what healthy eating should be like, and I think there's different versions of that for a lot of people. Most people have some type of disordered eating pattern, whether it's like a reward system or however they view it, it's just not, it's not healthy for most people day to day and long term. So when do you, I guess, realize like, hey, this is, this is fucked? Um, I realized this, you know, like, well, for after my first, like, actual off season, you know, when you want to put on lean tissue and, you know, make progress for the next show. I put on so much weight, but in the first probably month, after my show that I was like, I look worse now than before I started. So you go from like a buck 30 to 160 heavier <clears> than when <throat> I started in a month, maybe like two months. <clears throat> That's fucking crazy, dude. Like you got to try to do that. But I had actually asked for a reverse diet program and the reverse diet was probably four times the amount of food that I was eating going into my show right away. Explain for these guys who don't know what reverse dieting kind of means. So typically with a reverse diet, you want to slowly reverse out of your calorie deficit into more of like a calorie maintenance or slight surplus post-show. So usually going into a show, your food gets cut or cardio gets added as you get closer to the show. Going out of the show, usually you'll add in food and decrease cardio as you get out of the show. So you slowly put on weight and get back to more of your body's natural homeostasis and normal body fat percentage. Um, or, you know, like a leaner body fat percentage and you're not putting on a surplus amount of body fat all at once. It's like a, like a healthy way to yeah. gain the weight back. Correct. So you're at like, what, what are you eating at the end? Like a thousand calories a day? Yeah, I was eating around a thousand. That's, and doing how much activity? Two hours of cardio and then an hour of training. It's a rough, uh, it's a rough go, dude. It was. Yeah. And then, I mean, that, that was my, after my, f my second show. And then that's why when I did like the next year. My, going into my third show, I had so much body fat to take off to do that first national show. And I wasn't lean enough for that first national show. So I pushed harder to the second national show. And that's why, you know, like it took me a lot to get the weight off. 
So the, I mean, for most people who are listening, like the answer is not for you guys. I'm talking long-term more activity and less food. No. Like that's not a, cause at some point I'm a visual person and I'm an idiot. So I do very simple examples. It'd be like if you were painting the floor here and you started from the wall and then you painted yourself into this corner and now you can't get out of it unless you're going to smash through all the paint. That's kind of how I look at it. Eventually when that ceiling or that calorie number becomes so low, you, there's no lower you can go. And there's no more activity you can do. You literally like it'll like the whole out exercise, like your food, it works to a certain point. Like I'll give people that like when we, and I've talked about this before in here, like when we go to like to men's health and film these programs, they're follow along. So it's like, Hey guys, it's, it's workout number one. No, we filmed four that fucking day. So we've done four basically hour long Metcons in one day and you want to kill yourself. You have diarrhea. You feel like shit. Um, I'd still eat like a salad and normal stuff, but I'd grab like four cookies from Wegmans, like as big as my face. I'd eat them, go to sleep, wake up the next day, shredded, like didn't even matter. But your body's breaking down. There's only, that's my point, everybody. There's only so long you can go before either you're mentally going to crack and just eat a bunch of shit and stop exercising or your body is going to say, hey man, like we don't have any energy left. And I, for people listening, I assume they know like, when you are on stage or like if it's super shredded, like for a magazine, there comes a point for everybody where the better you look, the worse you feel. That's true. And then people even joke about it. If you don't, if you feel good going to a show, you're not ready. You need to feel bad. You know, you should feel suffrage or you should feel like you are suffering leading to the show. And that's how you know you're ready. And I think that's a poor mentality. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, and I know things differently now. And when I was competing as a pro, uh, once I did earn my pro status, I did things differently. I did maybe 45 minutes max cardio. And that was towards the end of my prep. I would start around like 20, do hit cardio. And I would do a combination of steady state and hit. And I did macro, I did macro dieting my entire time. My food maybe got as low as 1400 calories. So you got better. I got better. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my experience starting out I mean I damaged my hormones and metabolism so how jacked was your stuff my test levels were at a nine and then I had basically no estrogen no progesterone and what is what is a female like a hundred usually I want to say around 60 like that's just normal and then on the higher end you're at nine yeah is that even a thing it is a thing nine yeah so like it didn't matter how much sleep I got didn't matter how much I ate didn't matter how like I woke up and I always felt tired and I just thought it was because I'm working, you know, these long hours. This is when I was training clients at 24 hour fitness. Um, I was just like, man, I'm waking up at 4am to train 5am clients. And I just, doesn't matter if I get nine or 10 hours of sleep. I just feel exhausted. So your testosterone is trash. Mm-hmm. Your estrogen. Progesterone and thyroid. All garbage. All garbage. And that's from the calorie restriction and the overtraining basically. For too long of time. Yeah, for sure. Because you did it for sometimes like a year in a row? Yeah. And I did it wrong the first, I would say, year and a half I was competing. I would say actually first two years I was competing. I did it the wrong way. I did. I thought I was in that mindset of less food is better, more cardio is better. The harder I work, the, the, the better the results will be. And then it wasn't until I was like, oh, I got my hormones checked after I think it was my fifth show. I did my pro debut. I looked like, I looked terrible, like I looked terrible going into my bikini pro debut. And I was like, why 
like I was doing at that, that point, even more cardio I was doing two hours and 15 minutes a day. And I was eating 900 calories and I was like, okay, well, something's not working. So I got my hormones done and I was like, I need to give my body a break. So I actually took an entire year off after that period, got my hormones regulated, um, and, and within normal levels, I was eating the appropriate amount of food. I was doing barely any cardio, just, you know, like a healthy amount of cardio, like a normal, human. yeah, like yeah. a normal human, nothing ex- excessive or too, like too much, but I felt good. Finally, I felt like, okay, like I'm, I'm ready to, you know, maybe compete again. And then I, I switched to working with a different coach and I switched actually divisions from bikini to figure what's something that'd be more appropriate for my body. Cause for me to do bikini, you know, my body type, I have a wider bone structure and it just, for me to get that lean, it was like, this is going to be your new reality is tons of cardio, barely any training, really low calorie diet. So I was like, I don't want to train like that. I want to eat and train like an athlete. So figure division is going to be what's best for me. But that means more muscle. It's a different, yeah. Well, cause a different animal. Yeah. The bikini, I don't know. It's all different when you look at it, but like you're net, like you're not, you're built like an athlete. Like when you, if we had a draft, right? Like we always say this, like of all the girls I know, I'm like, there's certain girls I draft for a team and there's certain ones like, well, they, they look great, but I wouldn't draft them on like a sports team. Like, I don't think they could tackle somebody. You know what I mean? But you're to go from bikini to that. Like you have to add a lot of tissue, like a lot of muscle as a female, which is super hard to do for a dude. And yet you're walking into that, which is tough. Yeah. But you ate more. It was a healthier. Yeah. I mean, I ate way more. I flexible dieted, I macro counted, you know, like my entire prep. Um, my food was a lot higher. My, I had more off days from training. My cardio was a lot less. Um, I just did things smarter. And then eventually you're just like, I'm done with the competing. Yeah. I think um, in 2019, I did my last show, the Toronto Pro Show. I looked my absolute best. And I was like, you know what? I'm not willing to take things more extreme than that that would like for me to do better in the pro level of figure, I'm not willing to take any more crazy extremes. And I wanted, um, at the time, you know, like I didn't want to have kids when I was competing. Like um, that was my main focus was like, I want to be the best in the world at bodybuilding that's figure. That's That's it. it. That's what my focus was. And that's why I was willing to do anything it took to to reach that. And at, at this point I had actually met my husband. Um, we weren't, we were dating at the time, but I was like, you know, kids are a possibility for us in the future. Um, that's the, the route we want to go. And I was like, I need to take a big step back from, you know, this, I would say more like outward appearance look like this is like, just like a physical goal and like think, take things from like an internal health perspective and what's actually healthy, not just what, what my outward appearance is showing people. And I was like, you know, I need to get my hormones back on track. It'd been five years since I'd had a cycle. And I, for me, I didn't want kids. So I was like, that's fine. Whatever. You didn't have a period for five didn't years. Didn't have a period for five years. That seems like a long time. I'm not a expert in women's uh, things, but that seems like, that seems like a problem. It was. Yeah. Like um, when you go, like when you go to a doctor and you tell them that, like, hey, I haven't had a, haven't had a cycle in a year. Are they just like, what the hell? Or do they kind of know? Because they're just like, this is a life you're in and this is what's going to happen. They kind of know. And I was seeing a hormone doctor at the time that was like, you know, they knew my goals were bodybuilding. So they're like, you know, you really should get your estrogen and your progesterone up a little bit. And, you know, you should focus on these areas. And I was like, no, but I want to be, I want my levels to be, help me with my performance and my goals. And why does it, why does it happen? Because the, your body just is devoid of everything and your hormones are completely just out of whack. That and I was too lean for too long. Like I would be go periods of time where I was around 10% or less body fat 
for it's, so like i mean i would do four shows in a year if you're a dude that's doable yeah but not for a female no it no. shouldn't you shouldn't be that low like women on average should be 10 percent higher like yeah, that's like so if a dude is 10 you're 20 yeah that's like if a dude is six you're 16 mm-hmm. so for you to be like 10 that's like me at zero yeah which is impossible yeah i'm dead and you're basically almost dead too yeah that's nuts man but i took off like and it was kind of a good timing like with everything going on in the world with covid i like my in 2019 i was like, okay, I'm done competing for the year. I need to grow. I need to put on size. So my goal was to put on some body fat. Oh, and then COVID happened. And then, you know, like. perfect for you. Yeah. And then I was, um, you know, like I was pushing the end of 2019. I stopped my last show. was like in June. And then I was like, I'm just going to grow and grow like the rest of this year. And then I'll maybe think about prepping in 2020. Well, so I put on a healthy amount of body fat. And then I started getting a cycle again. And then I was like, you know, my body felt like crap. Um, I felt like I was always injured because things weren't hundred percent regulated. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to just take the entire year of 2020 off and focus on just overall health, getting my body moving in a way that feels comfortable. I'm not in pain anymore because the way I was training was super, super heavy. Um, I was, I had all this hip and knee pain and I was, cause I was trying to grow my legs and I like, just was what was, uh, like a normal, like what's the week? Like, how do you split your week or how did it work out? I would train six to five days a week. Um, for me, I needed to grow my back and my legs. So I would train my legs two, three times a week, back two, three times a week. And I would do little shoulders cause my shoulders were always like huge. I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I would just do, you know, supplemental shoulder exercises and my main focus was back and legs. And what is the, what's like a normal day? Like you go in, it's like bodybuilding style? We're bodybuilding style, like yeah. straight sets? Straight sets. How, rep ranges? Low rep ranges, heavy weight, um, sets for, you know, four to six with just, just less reps. To murder your central yeah. nervous system. Yeah. Multiple times a week. Multiple times a week, you know, and I never really focused on that, like rest and recovery um, as far as like the way I was training. And I was just, it was just like go harder, lift heavier you know, try to put on more tissue. Um, and that didn't work well. My body broke down. So in 2020, we just decided, you know, like I'm going to focus on just hormonal health. I want to be able to have a family one day and I'm going to take some time off from competing. Um, and then it turned into, wow, I feel good. I don't really want my goals changed too. Um, I, I realized I felt like I had reached my potential at um, with what my body was capable of doing muscular wise, like muscle wise. So I didn't think I could put on any more lean tissue. Obviously you can, but there's only so, and this should be said too, like there's only so much you can do without a shit ton of drugs. hundred percent. Like a lot of people, and that's, I'm not a fan of comparison in life in general, cause you never know the backstory. There's no context and it just, it's a shitty practice to get into cause you make yourself feel better or you make yourself feel worse, depending on if you put someone on a pedestal or you try to drag them down in fitness, it's the same way. Like the amount of people you do or don't know who take drugs, uh, especially when it gets to the upper levels, like whether it be, you know, Adderall, steroids, all the hormonal replacement stuff. Like I'm not judging. I don't care. Do what is best for you. But there comes a point in that world where you're just physically capped out. It's just genetically it's run its course. You're here and, you know, oh, you can always get stronger. That's bullshit. There comes a point where like if, if me, if it's deadlifting 600 pounds, I'm never going heavier than that. Like I have the wrists of a seven-year-old girl and the ankles of her too. So my joints aren't big enough to support weight for me to be able to do that much more than that. And if I could, something's going to come detached, whether Mm -hmm. it's drugs or not. It's the same thing for you. 
like you're to the point where I've trained as hard as I can train. I've died it. So unless I'm willing to continue this and add in a shit ton of pharmaceuticals, this is probably it for me. Yes. And that's where most people end up yeah. in that space anyway. No, it's true. And then for me, it was like, it's not worth it. Cause especially if my interim goal is to have a family with this amazing man that I've just met, you know, like, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't give a shit uh, no. if you get another trophy at home. No. And he would, he would, he's like, I actually like you better now that like you're not competing. Like you, you're happier, you look healthier, you know, you're like, you have more curves to your body. He's like, no, I liked you when you were lean too, but like, or leaner. Well, he has to say that. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to punch him. No. But yeah, no, I get what you mean. But, um, yeah. So it was, uh, an agreement we kind of both made together. It's like, I loved bodybuilding. I learned the most amazing sets of like tools for discipline and being consistent and, um, you know, just being regimented and that helps me in my everyday life. So I learned a lot of valuable tools throughout bodybuilding, but the extremes that I was taking in order to reach the end goal that I did with bodybuilding wasn't what I wanted long-term. No. And you learn, well, that's what, there is great truths in it. And I do appreciate it for what it is. And even the, the shitty stuff. Now you have that skill set when you work with your people. So if they do, if you ever work with people who do want to compete, hey, I've done this, this is dumb, this is a better way to do it. Or just the normal person who comes in that, like in females too, because I'm going to generalize here in a lot of things, and I'll get to this in a second, where dudes don't do, like dudes are way dumber than women. Let's just, it's crystal clear. Like we're fucking idiots. But females will do things that we don't do, where the phrase we hear this all the time, I don't want to lift heavy, Jeremy, because I'm going to get too bulky. And... um like, I want to swallow wet gravel when somebody tells it to me because it's so fucking awful. I've never heard a dude come in here and say that. Like, I've never had a guy, yet this guy's testosterone is 20 times higher. Most dudes drown in a medium t-shirt, yet, you know, Cindy comes in, and Cindy thinks if she picks up a 100-pound kettlebell, she's going to look like Ronnie Coleman when she leaves, which is crazy. So I want you to just, for everybody listening, like, that's not what happens when women actually strength train and pick up some loads. It is not the reality you're living proof of it. Like you can build muscle for sure, but you have to die to do it, to oh, yeah. add size. Like you have to continuously die, especially if you're not eating at a surplus, it is impossible. Yeah. But a lot of women think the opposite. No, they do think the opposite. And I, I'll get a lot of female clients come to me and they're like, I really want to, you know, I want to add more lean muscle mass and I want to get leaner, but I don't want to look like you. Like, like when I was competing. Like how much of a, like, okay, I'm going to share these stories here since we're on this. Um, I never minded when, when dudes would say that. So uh, do you know Dave Dries? So, okay. So Dave and I grew up together since we're seven years old. Dave's been on the cover in Iron Man. I'm going to get Dave on the podcast too. We just, we've been busy. Um, beautiful, beautiful man. Great shape. We would be like at a pool party, like when we we're young kids here, 26, 27. And some dude would come up and be like, I used to look like you guys. And Dave would get so pissed. Like just like how much of an insult is that? Like my wife and I were just in San Diego on this catamaran. And the guy's like, hey, can you help me, the boat captain? Can you help me like pull this like a rope? I don't know anything about boats. I'm like, yeah, sure, dude. And then my wife's like, oh, yeah, put him to work. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, look, I used to look just like your husband. And I'm like, no, you didn't, dude. Like you never, dude, you didn't, I've died for this. I've died for this over and over and over and done the worst workouts like ever. And I've eaten a certain way and trained a certain way. And to think that you could just come in here and kind of bullshit it and look the same is not only insanity, but it's like an insult to you. And no, they don't mean it that way, but it really is to think like the average mom, like who's got three kids and that work works at the bank is going to come in and be as jacked as you 
when you're a pro. That's nuts. Yeah. It and can't, so it can't happen. You always have to have that reassurance con- like conversation, like no worries. Like, like resistance training is going to help you add lean muscle mass, but you're not going to do it to the extreme that I have. Like I've been doing this for the last eight years. So you can't just look the way I do the first, you know, few months you start training. Even if they tried every day yeah. for 10 years. Well, and then people don't have the same genetics either. I grew up in a very genetically gifted family. Like my parents both put on muscle extremely easy. I've been athletic my entire life. So someone who's maybe never been athletic coming in saying that to you is like, okay, well, you don't have an athletic background and I don't know what your gene pool is, but most likely you're not going to put muscle on at as rapid of a rate as I have. No. And age range training is real. Like if you, like for you to come in here, for us to go shoot around, right? Three man weave in and out back. Like we can do things with a basketball that someone who's never played will never do. If I don't shoot for the next 10 years and I show up, give me 10 minutes. It's the one thing, like the ball handling does go. I'll give you that. Like that starts to get real, real dicey real quick, but you can always shoot if that's what you did. Where if someone's never played to learn the game of basketball at 40, you're screwed, dude. It's like when a kid learns piano at seven, he's great. Me trying to learn piano today, train wreck. It's the same thing with fitness. Like that you trained your whole life. It's not just, Hey, I was done with basketball. And now I lifted like, you trained your entire life to be this. So anybody listening, females, I love you guys. You're not going to get jacked if you lift weights. I don't care how heavy it is. I don't care how long you do it for. You're not going to look like a dude. It just isn't going to happen. It just won't. And if you're not at a calorie surplus, you're not going to gain any size. It just it, 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 It's an impossible thing you're trying to say, which is weird because people will come in here and they'll like work out for a week and be like, oh man, I feel like my legs are getting bigger. I, I wish that was the case, dude. And I have another side note to that. Um, I'll have a lot of females coming to me and they want to, they think they want to put on muscle and they actually have a decent amount of muscle, but they just want more muscle definition. So they think they need to be in a surplus. So I'm like, no, I think what you're telling me is you want to be leaner to show your muscle definition. So that's another conversation I have with a lot of females is they actually do have a decent amount of muscle, but they just don't, they're not happy with their body fat percentage level. Well, yeah, that's. And people say, well, I want to get these muscles. I'm like, well, we all have the same muscles, dude. I don't have extra ones that you don't have. We're all the same. It's just the shit covering them up. We just need to melt away a little bit. I would always tell anybody conditioning is the key to everything. Mm -hmm. You're never going to be the biggest person. It just isn't going to happen. I go, but if you like the condition you're in, it gives the appearance of if that's what you're going for. Like if you're a dude, if you're a dude who's shredded, you know what your dude say when you show up, man, you're jacked. That's not really the right term because the dude isn't jacked. He lost 20 pounds. He's just shredded. Mm-hmm. Like you'd rather be like Rocky and Rocky four than like a sloppy, heavier version. And that's for, I think most females too, you're never going to look bigger. You just look defined or toned or conditioned or whatever terminology you want to use. But it's interesting how we get those mixed up. No, it is so true. Cause I mean, when I'd be bulky and I'd be putting on weight on purpose to put on tissue, I never liked the way I looked because I had a surplus of body fat. Well, it sucks. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's way better to be ripped. I mean, uh, to me. For me personally, I'm not judging anybody. Whatever you're into is fine. But I'd rather look like a normal person in like a suit or clothes. And then when you take your shirt off, you're like, oh, dude, you look like Rambo. Like to me, that was always, that's what sold me on it. I'm always, I always want to be Rambo or Terminator or whoever. So that's why I'm still in this life. You did say something uh, when you sent me over a list here. Uh, More sleep and less cardio to lose weight. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people lose sight in um, is they think that, like like me, like for example, I always thought more is better, right? 
So more working out is better than, or more cardio would be better than me getting an extra hour of sleep at night. That's not, the, that's not the best. Um, now that, you know, like I'm more educated is there's so much more sleep or so, so much more research to support that sleep benefits your body so much more than doing extra hours of cardio or extra training. Um, gives your body a chance to repair the hormones that it For needs sure. to gain more lean tissue or to repair that tissue and to improve your metabolism and to help with your, your hunger hormones that will affect if you overeat or undereat. It's crazy how we, it's weird because we do, I had David Jack on the podcast who is fitness Jesus, which I reference to him all the time. He is a genius, a little crazy, but that most geniuses are. And him and I, I mean, I've known him for a decade would talk and how we do fitness wrong. Like we really, like what are the most important things? Like when, when we really strip it down, is it squatting? No, like people don't have to back squat ever. In my opinion, in your life, you can be healthy, fit, functional, and never squat. Do you have to barbell bench press? No, you don't ever have to do that. There's literally certain exercises and workouts you never have to do. But what do you really have to do? You have to breathe oxygen, you have to drink water, and you have to sleep. Yet we spend so little time as professionals. I'm doing more of it now that I'm older, and you realize that and my demographic is different than when I was a 26-year-old idiot. But we, oh, you got to split squat, you got to do this. And all those things are great, but the sleeping, the drinking water, and like you just breathing properly, that's important. And most, like, imagine your clients, you sit and take them through breath work? No. Like we, we do all these other things first. The order of importance is so kind of flipped around, but it's a business. So it's hard to sell people on, hey man, we're going to work on your breathing today and make sure you sleep this many hours a night. There's too many factors, but that's why I ask about like, wow, you'd say more sleep and less cardio. I'm completely agree too. Because um, you can be shredded, honestly, and ripped and do zero cardio. Yeah, you can. And I mean, like it just, it. there's so many things that, it impacts that like people are like, I'm always tired and they're complaining about these things. They're not having effective work. Cause I'm like, if you'd rather, I'd rather you sleep an extra hour and have a 30 minute workout versus an hour workout and have more energy for that workout to push harder in that shorter period of time. And it'll improve your digestion, improve your metabolism, improve your hunger hormones and your actual, your body's sex hormones, you know, so you're, you'll build more lean tissue that way too. Yeah. Without it, you're, well, again, if you want to tie it to hormones, which is kind of how I think of sleep and recovery, like when you take drugs, the drugs don't heal your body. It just allows your body to do what it's supposed to do. And when does that happen? When you are sleeping, obviously. And you look at sleep deprivation in terms of like your leptin levels, like ghrelin levels, like all the things that really piss you off and ramp these cravings up. If you don't have those, odds are you'll be more successful, like long term. Yet we the broken sleep, uh, sleep patterns. We do things that wrong basically is what I'm getting mm-hmm. at. And it's, um, it is mind blowing. I do want to ask this. You're how, how many hours do you sleep personally? I aim for at least seven, but I function best off of eight. When do you usually go to bed? My schedule is a little different right now, but normally I go to bed at 8 PM and I wake up at four or four thirty AM. That's early dude. Yeah, my husband's schedule is a little different right now. He's working a different shift. Um, he works on a dairy, so he's working a different shift right now. So I get to sleep a little bit later now, but I wake up later because he, of it. He gets up before you. We get up at the same time. Jesus. So I, my typical day is I usually get up and I help him get ready for his day. 
And then I take our dogs out and then I get myself ready for the day. That's early. I mean, I get up right before four too. Um, and just now it's a program. Like I can't even help it. Yeah. Like it sucks. It's awesome because you're super productive, but I can never just chill. And also my dog does want to like, just wants treats at like 4 a.m. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> uh, how is your training now? Like now that you're in this different phase of life, like what does a normal week look like for you when you train? So I typically train three to four days a week as far as like strength training goes. Um, for me, I train a little differently now than I used to. Um, I train with a device called a newbie. So it's a neuromuscular education device. So I train with that. So I don't have to train as frequently and break that down for people listening. Like what the hell is this lady talking about? So a newbie is a neuromuscular reeducation device that uses direct current in the body to reeducate your nervous system and how to produce more, uh, muscle output when training. So you can do multiple things. You can work on recovery work, lengthening muscles, shortening muscles, getting more um, activation when training just by putting a, a specific current or frequency in the body depending on what the goal is. And so for someone who is like visualizing this, like a TENS unit? It looks like a TENS unit, but the current is different. A TENS unit uses alternating current. So there's actual no, no relaxation period when training on that or using it for recovery. It's constant contraction. And you hook yourself up to this thing? Yeah, I hook it myself up and then I train, you know, like I'll do legs, I'll do, you know, like upper body, um, I'll do master reset. So actually funny that you mentioned the breathing work. A lot of my clients, when they first come in to train, will do a 10 minute master reset where you focus on diaphragmatic breathing. We calm down the central nervous system and put the body in a parasympathetic state first. So we decrease the body's stress. We improve metabolism, um, get their body primed for movement. They have a better outcome and a better um, output when they are training. And so this is one of the first things you do with them? It's the first thing I do with most of my clients. It's just so they understand, like, and you talk to them about, like, hey, this is how you should breathe. Yeah. Which most people don't. Most people are mouth breathers now, so it's... uh... Yeah, I sit and I make them actually put their hands um, on their stomach and feel the breathing. And if people have a hard time doing this, I'll have them do, like, crocodile breathing. Have you ever had people do that? Uh Uh-uh. They lay on their tummy so they can actually feel their stomach expanding. Oh, no shit. And you put your hands like on your forehead and you lay down on your tummy. Interesting. So they can feel the the stomach expanding. So they start to feel the stomach expanding, not the chest. Oh, like that makes sense to me. Yeah. We, um, with the savages, uh, and this is like the stupid friends of mine, we'll do, um, a lot of the nasal breathing, like mm-hmm. forced. They, um, these companies now will send like these mouth guards but we always did the uh, mouth tape, which is pretty awful. Oh, wow. Actually, yeah. So, like, depending on how much stuff you get into, like, if it's, like, the Wim Hof, like, he's, I'm not going to go, like, you know, hike the Grand Canyon with no shoes on and breathe through it. That's not, I'm not built for that. Um, but basically, it's like we, so I went through this whole training, too, where you talk about facial expressions, where uh, we would row, like, a 2K, but try to keep your face the same the whole time. Like when you start to really exaggerate the face and we make that, it speeds up the heart rate and it elevates everything. And the same thing with the nasal breathing. Like if you can just breathe through your nose, especially when before you start to panic, it actually can warm the oxygen before it comes into the lungs and like makes it prime for you to actually breathe. Now, obviously when fatigue happens, like if you watch, like let's say UFC or boxing and guys are tired, their mouths are open because now they're screwed. But the longer you can train and keep that way, which you're supposed to breathe through your nose anyway, it's almost like the second 
set of lungs you have mm-hmm. by the time you're there. And if you can stay calm through it, it does help in terms of that, but it's, it's tough to do. Most of the time when I first started doing it, uh, I'm not telling anybody to do this. Uh, you start to chew through the tape because you start to panic. Uh, especially like if we're rowing, like legit, like we're on it and I'm like, I'm biting through the tape at like four minutes in. Now we're getting better with it, but it does, it keeps you calm and it helps you understand like inhale, exhale in terms of like force generation. So like when you're doing push-ups, like, and you push away and you breathe out where some people, they don't do the reps with the breathing. I will say this bodybuilding is probably one of the things where you can do it, where and I'm not bagging on CrossFit or anything, but the, the pacing is so fast. It's so erratic. Uh, people are out of sync with their body and the rep scheme. Like where if you're going to go do six reps, you pretty much can understand breathe in, breathe out with every squat you do. If you're doing 30 squats for time, you're going to be ahead of the breathing. You're not going to do it. So it, it's almost, it's detrimental to you to do it. So it's interesting. I've never heard of the crocodile stuff, but it sounds cool. Yeah, there's that one. And then I forget what this one's called, but you put your feet up on like a box and then your feet are elevated and you lay lay back. And just try to like control it. And yeah. And that one, I typically have people put their hands on their tummy and then they focus on their breathing so they can feel everything expand. Well, it should be like deep belly breathing for most things, especially like when you see people like in your fit, like your breath becomes deeper, especially when you train. So even if you're shredded and your shirt's off, but you're breathing, your stomach looks like the semi-pregnant breathing pattern when you go, which mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people are used to that. Most people don't work out with their clothes off, uh, which is probably good. Uh, but that is true. The deeper you can breathe. But again, very few people coach it. So it's kind of cool that you do for these guys. Well, and it's just, uh, I see a much better, like much better performance out of clients. And then usually I start the session with the breathing because most people are late or they're running from work and they're in a highly stressed state. So if you can get their, their central nervous system to calm down and to be more in that rest and digest state versus fight or flight, they're going to have a better response to training. That's, um, I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, Brett Weinstein has a book. It's like hunter gatherer, I think. And I've read these studies before where, like the fight or flight that we're in, it should only happen like a handful of times like in your life, right? And now we live it basically like 10 times a day, every day. And that's the hard part for a lot of people and probably the clients you serve too, which I'll ask about your philosophy on like nutrition and dieting for you, but also for the people you work with. Because obviously we coach lifestyle stuff here, macros, um, I'm sure our thoughts are similar, but that should be the one of the most important things they do is the food they eat uh, when they go to the grocery store, when they prep it, when they consume it, when they like look at a restaurant before they show up. However, I'm also a realist and I understand that we are fucking aliens. People are not like you and me. And it's probably number 15 on the list of things for them to do in the day is track the macros, even though I think it should be higher, but I'm not, I can't speak for them when they have four kids and he's got to go to, you know, Joey's baseball practice. She has gymnastics. His boss is a dick. He's got to get his car fixed. His pool is leaking. And now you want him to sit and like do this, you know, specific workout and track his macros. It's hard for them to understand the importance of it. So I guess how do you, I'm not saying dig into that right away, but how do you, your kind of philosophy on eating and nutrition now and, and what you give to your people. So my personal philosophy is because of my extreme dieting and disordered habits in the past, I believe in flexibility, um, macro coaching. So I like teaching people how to eat the foods they love in moderation so that they can feel like they aren't deprived or restricted, restricted. So it 
decreases the chance for that disordered eating behavior. Kind of like if it fits your macros, eat that shit. Yeah. Yeah. The and old, I don't believe that, you know, school. I don't believe like fit your pop tarts in. So more of the 80, 20 rule for me. Why, why did pop tarts become the thing? Like I, I remember reading on the bodybuilding.com like f- forums, like this is, I mean, 2000, I'm in college. So like 2005, 2004, something like that. Like where you go on the bodybuilding.com forums and that's where this, at least for me, that's where this came from. Anybody who's familiar, if it fits your macros, but then the full saying is, if it fits your macros, eat that shit. And for some reason, it would always be Pop-Tarts that people would want to squeeze in. Of all of the things, that, and I'm not bagging on Pop-Tarts. I ate them as a kid. I'm sure they're still fine. But why would we go default to Pop-Tarts if we were going to squeeze something in our diet? So strange. Anyways, yeah. not to get off topic. No. Um, so like, it is funny because I used to pump up with Pop-Tarts backstage. What flavor though? I liked blueberry. I like blueberry. Mm-hmm. Or strawberry. I do. I would eat the, do you remember the brown sugar ones? Oh, yeah. I did love those. I like those too. And I started, I did that as well. I would um, I would go with Rice Krispies a lot. Um, or I would do rice cakes just with like jam or something on them. Just because I hadn't eaten in forever. But Pop-Tarts are always a good one. Anyways, continue. Yeah. Um, so that like that's my biggest philosophy with it is 80-20. So 80% whole clean foods, 20%, like you're saying, like it has to be realistic for people. So they should be able to fit in the foods that they love in moderation. So that's where the moderation part comes. Like if you want your cookie, okay, fit that into your 20%. And then the rest of your food should be whole single ingredients. What if you have the people who they're the all or nothing people? Like I used to be that dude where... I am now a grown adult and I can control everything. But for a long time, like I couldn't drink alcohol because I would have to have 20 beers. I just couldn't have two beers and like call it a day. I'd have 20, pee my pants, headbutt the wall and wake up with like one shoe on. Like that was my alternate reality. Uh, now, and, and it's funny because now people in, I always call it my old life. It's like a lot of times here we meet people and I call it their second life because I meet them when they're like remarried and they have like these kids and they were married to somebody else. We call it their, that second life. This is my second life, basically. Jeremy Scott Fitness is this, where my friends know me as just this other, like, gorilla on the loose. And people would say, oh, just let loose and have fun. I'm like, I don't think you really want to see, like, what this used to be. So I couldn't have, like, a, I don't eat really pizza now anyway, just because I'm like, it's, it's just not good for my body. But I love it. And I'm probably to the point where I could eat, like, a salad and then have like two, three pieces of pizza and call it a day. But like in the competing days, I go to oregano's and get two fucking pizzas and a pizookie and be like, I'm all in. So when you have somebody who is like, Hey, Ashley, you know, I want to be good. But when I have, you know, a glass of wine, it turns to four glasses of wine. Or when I have a cookie, it turns into the whole box of cookies. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that with somebody? So I'm very relatable to that because I used to have that issue with the peanut butter. So I used to say, I will tell people like, if it's a trigger food for you, you can't just have one glass. You can't just have one slice. Then we will avoid those foods at the moment until you get a better relationship with food. Until we get a little, your thing, um, your your nutrition and your eating habits a little bit more under control and regulated. Um, For me, it started with no peanut butter in the house. Then it started with, I could have one serving a day and I, I, portioned out my servings and then the jar went away. And then I started, I could have two servings a day. I portioned out my two servings. Then the jar went away. Then it was, 
okay, I can weigh out of the jar and I don't want more because I know I get this peanut butter every single day. So the, the option for me to have a food that I loved in my diet and to create some healthy boundaries for me to be able to incorporate that and then to be able to have the control because I allow it every day. Um, me knowing that I could have my one tablespoon or two tablespoons of peanut butter every day got rid of that disordered eating habit of me not being able to control myself around a jar of peanut butter. And like how long did that take from binging to eat a whole jar to now you can just have a jar in your house and it doesn't disappear in a day? Like how many years? Um, Mine was probably six months, honestly. It wasn't a year or anything. It was six months because I'm like, okay, well, I can have peanut butter. It's there. I know it's there. I know I can fit it into my fat macros for today. And if I choose to go over my fat macros, I'll just under eat my carb macros and hit my calorie goal. That makes sense. It's uh, My progression was probably longer than that. I would go in stints. Like I could have it and then not have it. And then I'd be like, you get a little loose with the rules. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think macro tracking does make a lot of sense for people. I'm not saying you guys have to do it for life, but if you've never done it, I think the education piece alone is huge. So you start to understand what a protein, what a carb and what a fat is. And we as Americans tend to underestimate how much food we eat and we overestimate how hard we work because we wear these watches and we're like, I burned a thousand calories so I can eat a thousand calories. And first of all, that's horse shit. And, but you kind of get into that, you play the net game, like where I don't do the net carbs. We just tell our people like it's, you ate them, dude. Like they're just there. You can't net it. We're not trying to do some goodwill hunting mathematical formula. It just is what it is. I'm sure you're similar. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's a weird thing to, to walk somebody through the progression of that. And I guess that's what people listening, I want you to know it, it takes time. If it took her six months and I'm obviously slow, probably took me like three years to go from no peanut butter or no nut butter to individual packets to actually having the jars in my house to be able to to own it and say it's not that I can't have it it's I can have it I'm just choosing not to eat this much today mm-hmm. but that's hard for people for sure no it is it's a self-control around food but usually people don't have that self-control because they restrict and the restriction is why they're like I just I can't diet or I can't lose weight because well, every time I do I do this afterwards so it's like we're trying to bridge the gap and meet the client where they're at so that's what I do with my people it's like okay if you've never dieted before great I'm not going to give you macro numbers and tell you okay here's your protein carbs and fat good luck I'm going to say, what do you like to eat? I'm going to create a structured meal plan for them based off of the foods they like eating and something that fits their schedule. Then I give them a meal plan. And then each week I have them, uh, I do this thing called a meal change request form where I have my clients fill out a menu that they want to eat for the following week. And then I create their next meal plan off of that. Then we start to, to, to educate and to teach like, okay, let me know if you want to make substitutions and I'll tell them how to start to integrate substitutions with different proteins, different fat sources, different carbs. Then when they get to the point where they want to start flexible dieting or tracking macros, um, I give them a ebook that teaches them, you know, their, how to track macros basically. And then we start to, again, bridge the gap or I write a meal plan for maybe their breakfast and lunch since they're out and about. And then dinner, I give them macro numbers and they kind of pick what they eat for dinner. And I slowly start to do that where they're doing, you know, maybe breakfast and lunch, um, sorry, lunch and dinner where they figure out their macros for. Or if they want to completely track macros and change it up every single day, that's fine. But I want to give them the tools and make sure that I'm not just overwhelming them with this information that's something super foreign like, you know, I don't know, like 
physics. Like if they don't know how to do something, like I'm not going to say, here's these numbers, figure it out, track in my fitness pal. You've never done it before. Good luck. So I try to slowly integrate them into the process of teaching them how to weigh food, follow a meal plan, be successful doing that, get results doing that. Then they're bought in a little bit more. Okay. Now we're going to take off the training wheels. We're going to give you macro numbers. I'm going to teach you, you know, how to make substitutions. And then when you want to start integrating, like for your dinner, where you eat with your family, you want to have something dinner, you want to eat with the family every night, you can figure out how to fit those macros in your goals. And then once they're, they're able to weigh food, track food, understand protein, carbs, and fat, and they're able to track macros and they want to be eventually intuitively eat, which I think most is what most people want. Um, they have the tools and I slowly progress them through that process where it's not like, I expect you to know how to do this, even though you've never done it before. It's, um, and I'm sure the adherence, like some people are probably great right away and some people suck and it takes way longer. Personality types obviously make a huge difference. We usually have these guys just track it on my fitness pal. It, most people honestly at this point have my fitness pal that we meet. Rarely do I meet someone like who has no understanding of anything. It does happen for sure. Uh, but when we have them track it, I'm like, just do what you normally do just so we can see. And then usually we can see the things that are completely wrong with what they're doing. And from there, we do like shallow and deep end. So if the guy eats McDonald's seven days a week, I'm like, bro, just do it six days a week. I don't give a shit. Like, because if I went and tell him, hey, do what I do, eat once a day, keep the macros here, he'd be like, you're fucking crazy. And he shouldn't do what I do. But it is that progression. And for some people that works, then for some people it has to be more hands-on up front. But eventually I think we all take the training wheels off and these guys learn a skill mm-hmm. that they can take with them forever. The theory of it is super easy. It's the application. Yeah. Day after day after day. When do you ever find yourself like unmotivated um, and like veering off track, whether it's training or eating or anything? And if not, like when your clients do, the athletes do, is there anything you do to try to pull them back in? For us, it's, you know, I don't really. Um, This is just what I'm like a robot. I'll just grind. I don't really care at this point. And I like, if I could just do fitness, it would be fun. If I didn't have to do other business shit, life would be great. But if I could just train and eat, like that's, that's, but that's weird, weird though. Like that's how we're wired. Most people, they pay to come in here and do these terrible workouts. And then you're telling them, Hey, eat healthier food than you're eating, which they want to do, but they also like all the other shit because it tastes good. So they have a bigger issue with than I do. But do you ever find yourself like, Hey, I'm just not motivated to do this today. Of course. Yeah. We all have periods of time where we are unmotivated, overworked, lacking sleep, and we're stressed. And so it just makes falling off track so much easier just because we have excuses. Um, well, you can sell yourself on anything. Yeah, you can. In the moment. I'm too sore. I'm too tired. I deserve this pizza. I deserve this wine, whatever it may be. Yeah. And it, the, I think the number one thing is when you do feel like you are unmotivated or you're veering off track, that you just figure out how to get yourself back on track. And even if it's like, okay, I normally work out four days a week and this week I only made one day. Next week I'm going to make two. Next week I'm going to make three. So just finding a way to get yourself back on track so you're not unmotivated or off track for longer periods of time, which is going to either hinder your progress or take you completely off the, the path of your goals. Well, to me, it's like if you can just move, like movement is basically medicine. If you can just move your body. And I, I couldn't train today. Can you walk? Like we, I'm a huge fan. Like we're going to do, I think it's in December. We're going to film a new program that we'll do. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a step number that we're going to do either 10,000 per day. That's probably got to be that. We'll do like a beginner intermediate advanced, like 10, 15, 20 steps a day. 
like K because I basically do, <clears throat> excuse me, about 20 some thousand steps here a day. Like when I coach, mm-hmm. when I don't like today and we worked out super hard, I'm at 4,000 steps so far. It's not real great. And it's almost noon. So I'm a huge fan of that, like the non-fitness activity for people just to do stuff. And I do think once you start moving, even if it's a mobility flow, tissue work, you're more likely to, that motion creates motion. It really does. But when you just kind of punt it, you kind of sit, it's easy to, I guess what I'm saying, it's easy to wander into inactivity and overeating. And it's hard to pull yourself back when you do get off track. Oh yeah. And I feel like usually when people get the most off track is when they are least active. Because yeah. then they're sedentary, they're bored, they want to eat something because it's comforting, and then they're in that same habitual habit of sitting and not moving and then wanting to eat more. Or I'm too lazy to even make food, I'm going to use Uber, uh, Uber Eats or Grubhub or something and order food in. That shit's the worst. Well, yeah, I'm like, delete that stuff off your phones. Like <laughs> I've never, um, I've never done, no offense to anybody, I've never done it because I heard they kind of screw the restaurants, like out of money. Like the percentage is pretty shitty that they have mm-hmm. to pay. Um, also I don't need to have people dropping off this fancy food at my house. I just don't see it's a good, I need to get my ass up and drive. And then I think by doing that, you have enough time to have, make this conscious decision. Like, is this really what I need to do? I'm a huge fan of if it's controlling like single serving stuff, like, Hey, I want to eat cookies like Safeway. I always use Safeway as an example. Safeway will give you like 50 cookies for five bucks, or you can buy two cookies for $2. Now, financially, the two cookies for $2 is a terrible buy. I go, however, for your health though, those two cookies are the best thing you could probably do. Mm-hmm. And that way, at least I only have two. So then when my fat ass wants to eat three and four, I'd have to physically get in my car and drive my ass back to the store and grab them. So that does help me. It's a personal little hack for anybody out there if you want to do that. If you were to give some advice to just like a young, not, well, we'll go coaches next. Like the average person, what do you say? The average person should do like they're coming in off the street. They don't do shit now. They don't really exercise. Maybe they, you know, hike once in a while. They ride a bike, but in terms of training frequency to get started and just eating, like they're kind of the novice person that that probably comes into your space and talks to you. Is there anything you'd say like, Hey, work out twice a week, three times a week. Um, I would say be clear and honest with yourself on what you're actually able to commit to do. So like most people, when you're, they're gung ho about making a fitness transformation, they want to work out seven days a week, six days a week or whatever. And they're like, I can, I can work out for two hours a day. I'll eat whatever you tell me to eat. They're like super really excited about making this change. Right. Side note, does that ever actually happen? No, it doesn't. So this is why I'm like, let's not set you up for failure right now. Let's come together and figure out what is realistic for Joey to do this week. If it's, I can get in three workouts and I can track my macros, even if he's not following a meal plan, or if I can, you know, prep certain meals to stay on track, then let's start there. And then we can build upon that as we go. Cause it's like, I'd rather set you up for success on something that you can accomplish. So you feel successful each week. And that's getting you a step towards your goal. And then we can build upon that as you are ready to commit for more. Well, and for them to have a goal too. Um, and that's, we did a podcast thing. It's called, um, the cost of getting lean. Um, which basically I break down what we talked about today, like how miserable your life is going to be if this is really what you want to look like. Because sometimes people will come in here and say that. They'll say, Jeremy, I want to look you know, like you do in this photo. And I'm like, bro, um, your wife will divorce you 
and your kids will hate you if that's really what you're going for. But sometimes they don't understand what that looks like. So for them to have a realistic idea of not just the end goal, which is what most people do. They say, I want to be a multimillionaire. I want to be, you know, 7% body fat, whatever it is, but not knowing what it takes to get there. We try to prescribe like that middle ground. If you do train three days a week, four days a week, this will probably get you there. If you're trying to do this, this is what it takes. And that's not sustainable. So I was just curious, like how you kind of approach it with the average person who comes in, but. Yeah, yeah. I usually like to, yeah, like meet them where they're at and then educate them on like, okay, if you want to look like I did here or that, you know, how this person looks, this is probably what's going to take. And do you actually want that? Is that realistic for what you're able to do right now? Is this financially realistic if you're wanting to compete and maybe you're on a tight budget? Like there, there's a whole nother cost of things with all of that involved. What is your demo right now usually that you work with, like the average person? Females between the ages of 20 to 60. So it's kind of a wide range of And what is, what are they, what's the goal for most of them? I mean, they just, they want to just look better, move better, feel better? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't have a lot of crazies. I don't have a ton of crazies. Now I do get, you know, because of my experience with competing, um, I do get an occasional competitor right now, since I'm not promoting fitness as far as like competing goes, um, like I'm not posting my physical transformations and my competition stuff. I'm not attracting that kind of clientele. So that has helped me, you know, target more of my ideal client. Um, as far as like I'm general health and wellness, like I want people to feel better, look better and, um, just like the way they, they feel and function in their body. Yeah, it's weird how it, the evolution changes because probably when you started, maybe you thought like that's what you wanted to do. Like I'm competing, this is my life, I'm in it, I'm this person and this is the people I want to work with. I want to bring these young kids will look up to me. Well, it gives you a sense of like, hey, I'm a pro, I'm this, it's your identity in some sense. It's not everything you are, but our lives are tied to our careers, obviously. But you probably thought like this is what I'm going to do when I'm 35 years old, I'm 40 years mm-hmm. old, I'm going to work with these people. And now in a matter of just a couple of years, it shifted like instantly where when I started this, um, you know, like you might not remember, you know what animal pack is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, most of you guys have never, you guys don't know what I'm talking about when I say this, this is like old school. It's still around. Animal pack is still real. Um, but when I, we have these other supplement sponsors, like when I'm with like MRI and ProLab, like I'm going to the Olympia, the Arnold, you're standing at these expos. And if you ever want to feel like you've never lifted in your life, like basically just go there, uh, and walk around and people are like, Oh, what do you do? Like, you're like a swimmer or something. I'm like, I'm 215 pounds, bro. What the fuck you mean? I'm swimming. Um, but you just feel small. Anyways, I thought my gym in my career would be like animal pack. Like we'd be in here with cut off jean shorts and work boots playing Metallica, just like deadlifting and squatting. And now we don't teach like Ollie lifts to people at scale. Like we have people deadlift here, like with a landmine with dumbbells, with kettlebells, maybe a trap bar. Um, but we don't do any of that shit. And like at nine fifteen here, it's like 15 housewives from Scottsdale. Like it's not anything I envisioned. I go, but I get so much more out of that than, than that life. Or even like the guys who want to quote unquote, maybe look, like I do, or kind of be in that circle, that's not really our main demo. Like, and it's not what brings me the most happiness because I don't get a lot of fulfillment from that. It's when you can see someone actually, hey, I lost a hundred pounds or, hey, I can actually touch my toes or I can play with my kids. Like that's what this has morphed into, but it's not what I started out just like similar to you. So if you're going to go, we switch gears here before I let you go. Um, For the young coaches out there, 
um, for the fitness people, um, what's like the biggest challenge in the fitness industry you kind of maybe feel, you see, whether it be for yourself or for the person who is you, but five years younger, 10, because one day you'll be old like me and you'll feel that too. Like where like my kid, Alec, who works here, he's 26. So I'm like so much older than him. And it's hard to, when I hear him talk, I remember being that age, but not really. And I'm now it's, I've been doing it for so long. You're so far removed. It's like, well, shit, the challenges that he has are probably different than I had in the industry, but they all are still kind of layered in. So if you have any that you feel, um, I would say for young coaches, I think it's when you're new and like more novice to the industry, you want to make like your training. You want to make, I guess, popular like with social media. Like I wanted to make my social media, like a big thing. I want to inspire everybody on social media. I wanted to share everything on social media. And so I would get distracted by my phone and things like that. And so, um, when I was first training people, um, and like never like in a, like a professional environment, but like, that's what I feel like right now, at least in a couple of the spaces I've been at is this personal training industry is like a, like a highlight reel for a lot of people. Is that like a thing? Like I'm so far removed from reality because I live in this ecosystem I've created here yeah. where everything revolves around everything I do all the time. And I don't train anywhere else unless we're traveling. And it's usually I'll message somebody to go into their space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a thing though. Like the young people really value like the Instagram followers and world like that's a thing oh it's a thing I mean some people train with certain trainers because everything they do is on social media right so it's like I like so they it, can be on their social they could media. be on their social media or they can be you know like or they find that trainer through social media and then they're like oh I like this stuff they're doing with their clients look at all the way their clients look I want to look like that so it's a it is a thing um just like with people like with hiring coaches who look a certain way doesn't mean you're going to look like that person if you work with them yeah I mean, I get the, I mean, obviously it's, we built the business like, well, not really. Cause I've been around for way longer than this. This just morphed into this weird thing that it is now. And I get it like a lot of people, but we try to share things where, and to be honest, like I don't really care to show myself shirtless uh, and sweaty working out. I feel it's super douchebaggy and ridiculous, but hence the world that we live in now. Uh, but we try to give things of value to people. Yeah. And when we started it, it was never too have a million people follow it. It was just, Hey, can I give something that is actually going to help somebody who's stuck at home or somebody who wants to do some maybe more complex or low barrier entry exercises. And now it's turned into this. You're almost like, I call it fake famous where it's like, you're mm-hmm. famous, but not really. Mm-hmm. It's weird. And why you would want that. If you really were going to help people, sure. I guess I get it, but I didn't know it was such a yeah. sought after weird thing. Well, and it's just, I've been in multiple different training environments as far as like seeing trainers who are running their business at a, you know, like a private training facility and they're operating their business out of it. And I say like for trainers that are like that, I would say, um, for young coaches, just be the kind of trainer you would want to be trained by and make each session you train the best part of that client's day. Cause it's like, then they have something to look forward to. If it, you're the best part of your client's day, they're going to always come back to you. I agree with that. And I think in order to this is for fitness coaches out there. If you're going to be on the internet, you have to have worked with people in person to some extent. Like in my opinion is probably, maybe it's old school, but it probably has to be longer than you guys want to. Because how can you help, you know, 52 year old Roger 
in Indiana if you've never worked with a 52-year-old person in Scottsdale, if that's where you live. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have anything to base it off of. You've never had a conversation with somebody who's in his career, has his life, you know, his avatar. You don't know who they are, yet you're trying to, I'm going to help a million people on the internet. Well, you've never helped a million people in person. To me, there's a disconnect there where, again, this goes back to culturally, I think we, everybody wants everything super fast and super quick, not knowing that you were an athlete your whole life, you've been training forever, and you've been working now in the industry, what, five years, six years? Almost eight. Eight years. Yeah. And now it's to where it is at. And I'm sure in a couple of years, it'll be different, but it took you, you know, imagine like your first year of coaching to now, like no offense, how shitty you were your first year. Oh yeah. The things you told people, like how, like you owe them their money back as, as do I. Like I, if I could somehow find everybody that came in, like, but I, it's all you knew. Like when you know better, you do better. Yeah. But when you're young, it's, it's tough to do. So the thing is don't waste all your time on social media. Just try to be awesome with people yeah, in person. Like, I don't even have my phone on me in sessions with clients, and as it should be. It's a professional environment where you're trying to help that client. You're giving them your uninvited attention. If like they it. ask for a video, give them one. We um we snapped a group. We just snapped like one group here. Um, and I don't even think most of them are on social media. There's people here who don't even know like we have Instagram, which is actually pretty fucking awesome. It is awesome. And uh, I appreciate that. I would say for anybody, on the same note, you need to spend time on these platforms, obviously, because it's part of like, it's free for sure, but you can do it in a way where it doesn't take away from the people you're obviously serving. And this whole thing that we've done and anybody I've talked to, it all started with just being awesome with the people you're around. Like that's how this all grew. I didn't wake up one day and be like, you know what? Imagine like if I called my old man and I was like, Hey dude, I'm going to be like a famous trainer on the internet. Like, he would have punched me in my fucking face and been like, you sound like a crazy person. You know what I mean? Like, just to say you're going to be in fitness in general as your career, it's already ridiculous. Because um, how many retired coaches you know? Not any. This is We are the first, like, weird generation. But it didn't start off that way. And nothing we do here is motivated by that stuff. If My take with it is if you are helping enough people, like, enough people will see your stuff. And if you help enough people, you'll make enough money and everything's going to kind of work itself out. And those numbers, they're not real anyway. They really aren't. Like, it's just, if you can help people, like, you guys will be fine. But that starts with you in the gym or in the facility. And then if it branches out to an online business, you do that. That's not, you know, the 90% of people who watch your social who don't buy your stuff and really aren't clients of yours anyway. So I guess how would a young coach, like, find, you know, success? And success is a term we can define in a million different ways, but how, what would your advice be to them? Like if they really want to, you know, they want to make it a career, they want to make money, they want to help people. And there's a balance there, right? Cause like, obviously we all want to help people, but we also need to make dollars too. How would you advise them to go about it? If you're like you said earlier, like if you develop these relationships and, um, start a 24 hour fitness, uh, you can, I mean, so I, <laughs> I liked starting at 24 Hour Fitness for a lot of the business aspects and like teaching me how to sell because I'm somebody who I don't like selling. It's uncomfortable for me to ask people for money. But when people already, like you're selling them something they need, I don't talk about money anymore. It doesn't feel like I'm selling somebody on something they don't need. I, I felt like that at 24 Hour Fitness, but I learned how to sell in a corporate setting. Because you're just, now you just present. 
basically. Yeah. People come to me because I've developed relationships with other people. They've gotten really good results. So they refer friends. And then for me, I just talk about what I do and how I can help them and then help them figure out, okay, well, these are some areas where I think you can make better progress. This is what I think you're telling me you want. This is how I can help you. And I'm not trying to sell them on something they don't already know they need. They're coming to me for, I'm not cold selling. Basically, I'm not calling people trying to sell them something that they might not want. Everybody's coming to me now telling me like they know they need this and they want this. And so it's, it's a different conversation now. But when you're first beginning, you got to get people on the door. Well, now you're doing all, it's all reactive. 100%. And like every great business referrals are what drives everything. That's how everything is built. Uh, when you're at 24 hour, is it, do they just be like, hey, Someone came in today, signed up for a membership, and you have to try to sell them on coaching even if they didn't want it? You get a free session with them. They get a free session with you. That's how they did it. So you would basically try to sell them on you as a trainer. And then if you were not busy during an hour, you'd try to go around and you'd try to eyeball the people who were making training mistakes and offer a few pointers. Oh, so you're just like trolling the gym. Trolling the gym. for people who suck. Yes. Oh God, I would, I mean, literally they would fire me within a day. Yeah. I, there's no way, dude. There's no, I mean, that's so uncomfortable. But you'd run around literally like saying like, Hey, like, can I give you a few pointers? Would you mind? Like, that's how I would approach it. And if they would say, no, I'm good. I'm like, okay, well have a great workout. But if somebody who was like receptive to wanting to learn then I would be like, I'm some new trainer, so I didn't know much either. Like I knew what worked for me and, you know, obviously based off of my education at the time, Yeah. but I gave people pointers and then they, I think it was more of like the personal aspect and the touch of like, you cared enough to come over to me to, to give me a few pointers on my lift. And this isn't something you're being paid for right now. So then they booked a session and then from there they, they booked multiple sessions. Um, so it was de- developing those relationships and actually caring about the person as a person first, then helping them reach their goals. So I think like that's how I was successful as a trainer is cause I went out and I offered help and I was able, to, I w- I'm good with people. And I don't, I don't like selling. So I think that was like, I'm a terrible salesperson because I don't like selling. I don't like asking people for money, but I do care about people. And I think that shines more through. Um, and that's why people want to work with me. Well, the same stuff that makes you good today is the same yeah. stuff there. Even though that environment just sucks. That's it, the worst. It does. That would be, well, and you're selling the worst service ever. Hey mm-hmm. dude, come in here and do these awful lifts and be sore and have it burn and be out of breath and be tired and see you later. Mm-hmm. Like we're like a restaurant where you got to cook your own food. That's what we do here. And oh, by the way, when you're done, put the weights away and clean up your own dishes. Like that's basically what we do. Uh, that's rough, man. But I think of it the same way. We, we don't sell. Um, we just present to everybody. And I don't want to sell you on why you should be healthier. If you don't understand it, like there's nothing I'm going to say to you to do it. If you want to be here two days a week or eight days a week, it's it's up to you, man. Like we really give these guys the autonomy. I'll give them generalized like what a normal person does. But I think you have to do something. And that's the only way I ever sell it is like, well, hey, what do you think? I'm like, well, all I know is if you do nothing, you'll get older, softer, and wrinklier. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's reality. Like nothing is going to help you. So you have to be active. And if we can help you do that, then awesome. But if you want to be somewhere else, I'm happy to refer you somewhere else. But that's like where you're coming at it from a place of like abundance where like I have clients, I have a business, things are running where the people who I don't want to say like, they're just like membership mills. Like they'll take everybody and yeah. they have to, cause they have to make money. Well, and for a new trainer starting out, 
getting in front of more people, getting more experience, working with, you know, a constant revenue. Like people go to EOS because it's a, a cheap membership. They get a, you know, they get a free training session or a few free training sessions when they sign up. That'd be a good person for someone who's not experienced and who's wanting to grow and learn in a profession to maybe start versus going to a big gym, a private gym and paying X amount for rent with zero clients coming in. Because what is it now like? I don't even know. A lot of these gyms charge people, what, 700 bucks a month, 1000 bucks a month to train? More? More. Some. Like, it depends. I've seen it anywhere from like six to a thousand, 600 to a thousand. And if you are just starting out to come up with the G bar off the top and then you just make the profit after that, it's probably tough for some of these kids to do, to be like hyper profitable. Yeah. Yeah, that would suck too. Or, I mean, yeah, I see, I've seen it done so many different ways. But like for me, that's why I started where I did. And then I was like, once I had, like, oh, I'm pretty good at getting clients just by helping people. Um, I want to make more and I want to, you know, help people in an environment where they don't have to have a membership or I don't feel like I have to sell them something. Well, cause a lot of these places too, I won't name the names. Uh, I only know a few, <laughs> but where you have to like have, be a member at the gym and then, then you train with the trainer who trains at the gym. So the house wins because the house, let's call it gym a gym a charges 50 bucks for membership a month but also charges the independent trainer a thousand bucks a month so the client is a membership at the gym for 50 bucks and then he pays the trainer whatever they train with him basically mm-hmm. that's a good for the house for sure kind of shitty for the client but i guess if you love the trainer and that's what it is like it's weird i've seen it a couple different ways and not to get lost in this i'll let you go in a second the a lot of the coaches out there, I think they think, hey, I want to have my own space. I want to be the man. And everybody does until they have to be the man, basically. And I do think for a lot of people out there, if if that's a good split for you, if it's a thousand bucks and you don't have to deal with any of the other bullshit, it's probably a good route to go mm-hmm. where you're not responsible when the air conditioner takes a shit for 15 grand or the toilet breaks or I'll list you 85 other things that have happened here over the years. That's probably a good bet. And it's still your own business. Like you have to know that like you're still in control. You just, as long as you find a good place, right? Like in out a place that's going to close the doors on you or like lock you out, which we've heard that happen to people too before. Oh yeah. I mean, a good environment for your, you to be productive with your business and then for your clients to feel like it's a good gym. So a good, a good environment for them to be trained in too. So I've been at some other gyms where it's like music's too loud. You can't even talk to your client and there's just the most unprofessional training or trainers, I should say in, in the vicinity too. So, you know, just finding the, the right fit for you and your business and your clientele. Cause some people like that. Well, and I would say too, like when you're, you're looking at it, if you're young, um, not don't look at it as yourself today. Look at it as yourself 10 years from now, which is really hard to do because you think of if you're 26, imagine yourself at 36. I know you guys think that's like a million years away. Um, Take it from a dude. It goes way faster than you think. And you still have to live with the decisions and the choices you made at 26. So if you're in an environment where it's like kind of douchey and maybe you're training people that it seems fun now for Instagram but in 10 years, like when you're a grown adult and maybe like have a family or you're like a real person and want to train real humans, it might not be a great look. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm trying not to make it seem so specific and like call out certain people, but you know what I'm talking about? Like yes. 
there's just, you have to know your demo, who you want to work with and, and what you want that to look like, not just today, but even down the line. Cause at, at some point, all of you guys listening, if you're a young coach and you're, you're 30, you're going to be 40 and that's two different worlds for sure in terms of who you work with and how you want to go about it. The last thing I'll ask here, um, what advice would you give to like the people who are listening, um, to stay like motivated and like driven, especially like when they're in a rut or they just don't feel like they can make it happen. Like the average, you know, gym goer who maybe they don't train much now, or maybe they do. And they're just kind of treading water. You know, they, they go to the gym a couple of times, they give a decent effort, but they still eat like shit. They're not doing everything they're supposed to, but they just don't feel like they're just like, this is it. And they, they can't get over that hump, which I'm sure you've seen a million times. For the, like, if that's the, the place where they're at, I would just say, find one thing you can focus on that's going to make you better today than you were the day before and start there. Um, and another thing that really helps too is find inspiration on focusing where you want to be in the next five or 10 years and do your current goals or the current things you are doing align with where you want to be. And if they're not, then you know, you need to make some changes, but also like you're saying, like, um, if they're not super motivated or driven, well, they're not obviously not going to be doing the things that they know they need to be to get where they want to be in five to 10 years. So just by the simple, small daily tasks or habits, or just one changing one thing with their nutrition, like eating at McDonald's six days instead of seven, start there. Little stuff, little stuff. It doesn't have to be this. I need to follow a meal plan. I need to work out seven days a week from day one. And then if you miss one day, all results are lost because you weren't perfect. I say, I preach progress, not perfection. So if you're making some sort of progress every single day, from what you were doing before, you're going to make progress from where you were. You don't have to be perfect to make progress. No. And for, I mean, we all like fuck up something at some point, whether it's, you know, you probably have some area of your life where you kind of crush it all the time. And then there's areas where you mess up. And for most people, like for us, fitness is probably the one thing we can control and kind of own. That's why we do what we do. Um, but for a normal person, it's not that. And there is peaks and valleys. There's ups and downs. There's days where you suck and there's days where you're better. And if you can be better more days than you suck, you're probably on the right track. And for my two cents, a lot of you guys, if you can just move around like every day, like just walk, be active. If you can get a couple good workouts in a week and not eat like complete shit all the time, like you're probably going to be okay. Um, but we get wrapped up in this almost like I need to find the perfect workout program or the perfect eating program and the perfect, you know, pair of Lulu pants and the perfect fucking song. And I'm like, that really never happens. And regardless of what people think, like there's days too, where like, I don't like, I love training, but there's days where maybe the prescription is something I don't want to do that day, for example. Um, and I got to talk myself into it for 20 fucking minutes to do it. And I'm literally a hundred feet like from the gym. So if it's tough for me, I understand it's tough for you guys, but you have to find a way to just keep things moving forward, even little by little by little. Cause if not, it, it, this thing only gets, it only gets harder. It really does. And that's probably the hardest because this industry, the failure rate is so high for so many people on so many things in terms of, I tried this program. It didn't work. I tried this diet. It didn't work. At the end of the day, if you're moving every day and eating real food, like that's the program. That's really all there is. We might sex it up a little bit different, but we kind of, those of us who know how it works, we kind of all preach the same thing for the most part. Uh, anything else you want to promote, man? 
Um, as far as promoting things, where, um, where are these guys? Where do these guys stalk you at and be um, creepy? Find me on Instagram at fitfabash. How do you spell that? F I T F A B A S H. Nice. And where are you at in the valley here? I am located in Tempe Chandler area. Um, I'm out of a gym called Elevate Fitness, and it's Elevate E L V, the number eight. Oh, trying to be fancy. Sorry, E L E V. Number eight. I messed that up. I'll f- see. She doesn't even know. I'll <laughs> find it. I'll find it and put it in the show notes uh, for you guys. I'll put. Um, you have a website too. I do. So it's AshleyWeensFitness.com, and then um, I will do so for an, anybody who wants a nutrition and workout program from me. From now until the end of the year, I'll do a twenty-five percent off your program if you pay like for the however extended amount of time. If you want to pay for a year in advance, I'll do twenty-five percent off. Nice, dude. I will. Um, I'll put all this stuff in the show notes, um, so you guys can check it. I'll link her Instagram and everything else. This is good, dude. It's a lot of stuff. Um, we did a lot of similar stupid things. You know, I feel like it's a common theme in the fitness mm-hmm. industry, and it's uh, so many things people struggle with that's just not talked about. If you, especially if you went like that route, if you've been like on the cover of a magazine, I feel like you're all in that same kind of boat where you've suffered and you didn't really, you kind of did, but here's the truth. Like if you're going to be super lean, like some of it sucks. It just is. Even if you do it right, like you're, you're giving up things, you're delaying gratification, you're putting off things today because you can enjoy them in the future to look a certain way. That's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. But there is a a healthier way to do it than we did it as young (laughs) idiots for sure. So hopefully you guys got that from this and then understanding, um, where you're at, where you want to be, and is the juice worth the squeeze in terms of how much effort you want to put in. And, you know, that's where I do think having a goal, accountability, and a coach um, like Ashley can help you guys, you know, kind of bridge the gap there and understand, especially from somebody who's been through it. My biggest, and I'll let you guys go after this, is when people aren't practitioners of like what we do. Like I wouldn't go get golf lessons from me because I suck at golf, right? Like you want to listen to somebody, if you say, hey, my goal is to be super lean or my goal is to lose this weight or my goal is to train this many days from someone who actually has done it and lived it. And I think all coaches out there, if you're listening, I'm not saying you have to go compete and be crazy, but I do think you have to get lean like at least once in your life. Like really, you know, whatever that means for you, like really kind of push the limits of where you're at if that's what you're going to coach people to do. So you can understand what it feels like and and the struggle of it and like what it is when you talk to somebody else, like when you do change your diet and how you eat, because if you've never been through it, it's easy to just throw out macros and a prescription to somebody if you've never lived through it. Cause we, we understand the good, the bad and the ugly of it for sure. So, so true. Awesome stuff, dude. Um, okay. You guys, I'll put all her stuff in the show notes. You guys can check it out from there. Um, harass her, but in a nice, polite, not creepy way. And um, other than that, again, if you guys want the Athletic Green stuff, hit me up. All the sponsor links are in the show notes. If you guys are an Apple podcast, don't be a lazy ass. Drop it a five-star, leave a comment. I truly would appreciate it. Ashley, I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, thank you for this having is me good. And uh, until next time, you guys, eat well, train hard, be nice to people, and please keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.